In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob podcasting to you live from beautiful northeast minneapolis down in the rumpus room this morning with my pal lily don't hear much about lily she's usually not down here when i'm podcasting it's usually herm but uh, today it's my sweetie lily i'm sure herm will join us at some point though (laughs) he'll hear hear me down here and want to check out what i'm doing and what am i doing today well I'm going to jump into RPG a day 2022 and I'm going to do it my way tackle it all in one fell swoop. So I got a cup of coffee here settle in. I'm going to try and do it in 30 minutes or less. And before I forget that was Taylor from the Clerics War Ringmail Media Empire doing my theme song in his Bella Lugosi way. So let's see here. RPG A Day 2022. There's uh, 31 questions. And <laughs> in much my uh, uh, my tech-savvy way here, what did I do to <laughs> get the questions? Well, I found the little, almost looks like a uh, digital index card or whatever. Took a screenshot of that. And then wrote down the questions on this brown paper bag. <laughs> so we'll tackle all the questions here. Number one, who would you like to introduce to RPGs? Hmm. I guess it would be the friends I have that don't play RPGs. Um, some of them I've approached on it and they uh, and they're not interested, so... Yeah, I don't know. I guess people that I'd be likely to play with is or that are in my circles that um, I think would be fun to play with. And uh, yeah, I guess that's who I'd introduce. Number two, what is a great introductory RPG? Well, how about the one I learned on? Moldvay Cookmarsh Basic Expert D&D. When were you first introduced to RPGs? I think I bought said game, Moldvay Basic. Well, I didn't buy it. My parents gave it to me for Christmas. I think in 1981. Um, so I guess that's when, when I was first introduced to it. Christmas of 81 or 82. I can't remember which one. Uh, number... Four, where would you host a first game? I don't... I guess I'd do it in person. I think in-person gaming is more fun than online gaming. And especially for a first game, if you're introducing people, I think it's... There's a little bit more of a... I don't know, a camaraderie and um, engagement, I think, that you get in person... That's very helpful. Seeing, you know, body language and, um, yeah, just the share, you know, sharing snacks and beverages and stuff like that. I think I think all that in person would be the way to go. And where I I guess some place with a big table, some place without distractions. Uh, so, yeah, some place that's reasonably quiet and doesn't have people barging in or um, lots of background noise and stuff. So that's where I do it. Probably ideally, I guess one of the, the people playing the game, one of their homes would be ideal to me. Number five, why will they like this game? Well, hmm, what's not to like <laughs> you, you go, uh, I guess in in BXD and D, there's pretty clear cut uh, 
motivations and stuff if you if you look at the game rules as written and um and uh the implied setting and stuff you're a bunch of adventurers out to uh, defeat marauding monsters delve into unexplored territories and come home with treasure and tales to tell and your character progressively gets better and better as you acquire more of this these magic items and experience to get more personally powerful so it's a formula that seems to work for just about everyone so yeah that's why they'll like it how would you get more people playing rpgs Oof. well i'm not a marketing wizard but if I were, I, I I guess I'm taking this question to mean like if I had the the wherewithal, the the capital and whatever to actually make a meaningful dent in things beyond what I'm doing, you know, my my dorky podcast here. If I were like the marketing wizard from Wizards of the Coast or something, what would I do? I think I'd advertise. Maybe it's. I don't know. I, that seems to be what most companies do to uh, promote their product is advertise. And I don't, uh, because I'm so out of, out of touch with you know, social media and other modern ways that people communicate and stuff and get information, uh, I'm always, seems like five or ten years behind the curve. Uh, so I don't know what they do, but uh, back in the TSR days, there used to be advertising for the game, and I don't. I guess I'm not exposed to it anymore. I don't. I'd make a cereal. Hey, that's what I'd do. I'd make a. <laughs> I'd have a D and D cereal. They've got all this art uh, in their at their disposal. They could have a different box cover every month or something. That that would probably not not be the <laughs> the most profitable way. But I'd make. Uh, uh, a great cereal that had that was shaped in different monsters. You know, the the cereal nuggets or whatever would have different monster shapes. Uh, on the back of the box, there'd be a um, one-page dungeon that would change every once in a while. Inside, there'd be a a figure of a monster or an adventurer or something that would that would change. Uh, so you'd promote the game that way. So yeah, breakfast cereal. That's. <laughs> That would be the what I'd do. Uh, system Sunday. This is number seven. Describe a cool part of a system that you love. Um, all right, Moldvay BX um, reaction rolls and and morale. To me, those are two of the best game mechanics ever devised because they both keep the GM guessing. They keep them from writing a script. Uh, because you're rolling to see how the creatures, the characters interact with react. You don't know ahead of time. Could be anything. They could be friendly. They could be hostile. They could be whatever. Uh, and morale does the same thing. You never know when the the creatures are going to cut and run. It adds an element of a realism that um, there aren't many creatures that have no regard for their own lives. Uh, so it also keeps things, yeah, keeps the game entertaining for the for the DM as well. So those are it's a two d six mechanic in both cases. Uh, one, the, all the monsters are rated for morale. If you roll below their morale number or equal to, they stick it out. If you roll above it, they cut and run or surrender, offer terms, whatever. And reaction is a 2d6 as well, and it, it just, you have a table to see uh, what their what their reaction is whenever you roll it. Number eight, who introduced you to RPGs? Uh, well, no one really. Um, I mean, no one taught me how to play them. I suppose my mom and dad, they, they bought me the basic set for Christmas, um, or... <laughs> Gary and Dave and Tom Moldvay and Errol Otis. Uh, I think that's what grabbed my attention in the game store was the the art on the cover of the, the basic box set. So, Errol Otis. <laughs> um, number nine, number nine. 
What is the second RPG you bought? Well, I guess technically I didn't buy a basic d and I don't even know if I bought AD&D. Well, I bought some of the books. So if, if AD&D was the first game I bought, or at least bought in part with birthday money and Christmas money and all that stuff, because I was too young to really have a job, uh, the second one would be probably Top Secret. Yeah, Top Secret. When did you start GMing? Uh, number 10, when did you start GMing? Well, almost immediately. Uh, so back when we played, I think virtually everyone both played and uh, DM'd or was administrator or mutant master or whatever it was in Gamma World. So probably 1981 or 82, probably 82. Uh, number 11, if you could live in a game setting, where would it be? Yikes, this is rough because most game settings to be f packed with adventure and thrills and danger are dangerous and often aren't very fun places to be. So I don't know. Um, Middle Earth has some, I guess, some places that would be okay to live in. How about Rivendell? <laughs> uh, that seems like a, a safe uh entertaining place to be, or the Shire, um, but uh, I'll say Rivendell. Um, 12. Why did you start RPGing? Well, yeah, I saw, I saw the basic expert, or basic rules, um, basic box set displayed, I think, at either Hobby Town or World of Toys and Hobbies in Northtown Mall. Um, it was kind of set in with uh, other war games that I was interested in and playing with, and like Divine Right. I think I had Divine Right first. So I bought it because, or I wanted it, I added it to my Christmas list because I thought it was kind of like another war game. It looked cool, the art looked cool, it just, it sounded like a fun game. So, and once I got it, uh, I was a little shocked and uncertain about what exactly it was <laughs> this was. But uh, yeah, I I just got friends involved and we started playing. Or I found other friends that were doing it too. It was more, more like it. Number 13. How would you change the way you started RPGing? I don't know if I'd really change anything. It worked out pretty well. You're, um, 42 years later, I'm still, still playing. There was a big gap, but, uh, I guess it worked out pretty well. If if I were to change anything, I don't know, maybe... Um, so my brother took my box set when he went away to college and started playing with his doormate and other other people down at, uh, at Winona. And um, I guess it would have been cool if he would have come back for summer break or something and, and run games for... Um, me and my friends or something. So that would have been cool if my brother would have been like one of my first DMs or something. So maybe that's how I'd change it. But, but otherwise, yeah, I don't really think I'd really change much. Um, all right, number 14, Suggestion Sunday. Roll 1d8 plus 1 and tag that many friends and suggest a new RPG to try. Well, I don't know what tagging is. It's probably something to do with Facebook or Twitter or some other social media platform I don't use, but I'm, I'm going to tag a lot more people than that in my podcast. So I don't know the hundred people that listen to this or whatever, uh, a new RPG to try. How about Stormbringer? I think Stormbringer would be a really cool game for people to try. Uh, first edition, Elric, um, whatever iteration of Chaosium's, uh, Eternal Champion series, Hawkmoon, Corum, whatever that you like. I think I think that could be a fun game. One I'd love to play at, at some point. Let's have more Stormbringer talk. <laughs> All right, fifteen. Who would you like to GM for you? I don't. Is this living or dead? Um, living. I I guess any of my podcasting pals. Uh, Spike Pit, Jason. Daniel, Ray, Hobbs, um, 
Froth, really any one of you guys I'd like to have as a DM. Um, so, or, hey, how about Spencer? Has has he run a game yet? Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall from Keep Off the Borderlands. I'd like to have Spencer run a game of Into the Odd for me. <laughs> there you go. Uh, if it includes dead people, well, Bill would be number one on the list there. Um, or, or Dave Arneson, the, isn't he the person that was the original dungeon master anointed by, uh, Gary Gygax? It would be cool to see how he ran games too. So, yeah, those are my answers. Um, 16, what would be your perfect game? Well, again, are you are you the referee or are you playing? If you're the referee, your perfect game better be either the one you're playing or the the next one you you run, because uh, you should go into any one of them as like this is my perfect game. Um, which I don't know. Once you get player input, I don't know if you can have a perfect game because you're not really gonna see eye to eye with anyone about everything, right? Uh, so to like get people on board, sometimes you have to to uh, modify your vision and stuff. But uh, as a player, I don't know. I think it would be it probably would change if you ask me. Any given week, it would probably change. Right now, I think it would be pretty cool to do what I do uh, in my games, but like a, a sand crawl expedition or. Maybe uh, as a group of explorers looking to carve out their own domain in a uh, uncharted archipelago. How about that? Or being a mercenary company in the Thirty Years' War with supernatural elements. There, that's my current perfect game. Number 17, past, present, or future. When is your favorite game set? Well, it wouldn't be present. I'm not really... I wouldn't be interested in playing a game in the present. And, like, fantasy games aren't any any of those, really. Um, unless you consider it to be some far future event, uh, and the D&D setting is a post-apocalyptic Earth or something, or an Earth that existed before uh, current historical understanding... But if I had to choose one of these, I guess it would be the past. Let's see. Number 18. Where is your favorite place to play? In person? (laughs) I guess any place in person. I'd I'd rather do that than online. Um, Lately it's been uh, at Fantasy Flight Games Center now called Game Center. So... I guess, yeah, there. Number 19, why has your favorite game stayed with you? Mm, well, it does just about everything I want it to, warts and all. I can I can run the type of game I want to play and, and run using the basic expert D&D framework as a as a skeleton to build on it's very flexible it's like an old pair of jeans and flannel shirt on a crisp autumn day it's comfortable i know it inside and out the people i play with know it very well so it's it gets out of the way and um, and you just get on to playing the game so i guess that's mainly why it stayed with me it's a good game (laughs) uh number 20 how long do your games last? Well, like a game session typically is three or four hours for us. An actual campaign is um, <laughs> until the the GM runs out of steam and or loses interest or the players lose interest. It's usually somewhere between uh, three sessions and a year. <laughs> Uh, 21, Sunday setting. Share an intriguing 
detail from a game setting you enjoy. Hmm. Well, that's that's a pretty broad question. That sideswiped me here. Uh, Well, I mean, you can listen to my catalog about the things I'm working on for interesting things about, like, Lost Plains and stuff, but... uh, Well, let's go back to Stormbringer. Imrir, the the dreaming city of uh, Melnimide, uh, where Elric is the or starts out the story as being an adventurer, or the uh, emperor. Um, They have dragons. Um, I don't know if that's where all the ideas stem from, from uh, uh, various kingdoms having dragons, or if Moorcock got it from somewhere else. Um, there's a big sea maze that you have to negotiate to get to the city from uh, from the sea. It seems like uh, approaches from land are only from inland due to the rugged terrain and stuff. It's a city of complete decadence. It's a, it's a, an interesting setting. Let's see off 22 who is your current character well i have two uh, crispin the veteran fighter and brother jerome the acolyte of the brine lord number 23 what situation is your character currently in they have been recruited by some villagers to investigate hauntings going on at the local cemetery and they discovered that it's uh it was a group of bandits that were scaring off the town the villagers pretending to be like spirits and ghosts and stuff meanwhile digging up the graves and uh, chapel and catacombs for grave goods to rob them of and we've currently discovered that the catacombs and caverns well the catacombs or whatever turn in almost more like natural caverns underneath this chapel and they seem to be much more extensive than we first thought so we're investigating those at the moment number 24 when did you start playing this character? Well, it's, I think, has it been three sessions a month or two ago? Uh, number 25, where has that character been? Well, not, not many places. Like, <laughs> So the, the village, this cemetery and chapel, and the uh, catacombs and caverns beneath. Number 26, why does your character do what they do? As I've gone over, I am not a play actor type of player. I don't tend to really assume much of a role beyond what I do, so my characters do what I want them to do. They don't, <laughs> they don't in general have like uh, these separate motivations that bind my, uh, that some somehow handcuff me and make me do things I don't really want them to do or. Uh, do them do things that other players would find irritating <laughs> so or um, or difficult to deal with so yeah my characters do what I tell them to do <laughs> they're me <laughs> they're my avatar um, how has your character changed number 27 well again we've only been playing for three sessions so that they haven't really had time to change Number 28, Style Sunday, roll 1d8, plus 1, tag that many friends with your favorite RPG cover art. Well, again, I don't know what tagging is, but here on the podcast I'll tell you. It's the... I'm going to say it's the Errol Otis cover of the Expert D&D box, with the wizard doing his conjuring, and then out of the brazier smoke, he's almost divining 
what's going on in the basic cover art. So you see the basic set cover art with the uh, adventurers fighting the dragon in a cavern, appearing in the smoke of the, of the conjurer, the evoker in the expert set. Number 29, who would you like to see take part in hashtag RPG a day? Uh, anyone that wants to, I guess. Beyond that, uh, it might be cool to, to hear some of the creators that I enjoy uh, doing it, or uh, maybe legends of the, the gaming uh, scene. I don't know, Matt Finch? <laughs> How about Matt Finch? We'll say that. Um, number 30. What should hashtag RPG a day do for its 10th anniversary next year? Uh, I don't really know what all the other... I've, I've only seen the prompts and questions for the last few years, so I don't know what they've been in the past. Uh, I guess I'd gear, if, and not knowing if this has already been done, I'd gear the prompts and questions to be more... Uh, put people more in the thought process of DIY, of doing it yourself, being self-reliant. So maybe the prompts would walk you through creating an adventure or walk you through um, doing some tinkering and house rules with game mechanics and games that you like, changing them up uh, to modify them more for your, uh, for your group and your table. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's what I do. Encourage more independent thinking, um, being your own designer, because anyone can be a game designer, giving people the permission that they that some feel they need, <laughs> uh, giving people the impetus to, to do some of those things. So, yeah, I'd gear the questions and the prompts to encourage people to do more of their own creating. Uh, number 31, when did you first take part in hashtag RPG a day? Just now. This morning, August 24th, 2022. So there you go. Did I get get through in, yes, 26 minutes, 24 seconds for the whole podcast. So it's free. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Let's go to some calls. Welcome to the penthouse, Thunder. Hey, Rob, Jason here. Yeah, critical hits are tricky, aren't they? The... I am in favor of something like what low fantasy gaming does and other games do where the range can increase. So like a fighter might do a critical on 18 to 20 instead of just 20. But it doesn't change the fact that your magic user trying to a low level magic user trying to hit a high level tar, you know, a high heavily armored target is going to critical every time they roll that 20, right? I, I think that's an inherent issue. And I'm not sure how we fix that. Well, I, I do know how we fix that. We fix it with things like Rollmaster. We fix it with things like, you, you know, either separate critical crit tables. We remove critical hits. We make the critical hit a function of rolling damage as opposed to rolling to hit. You know, so maybe that's where you switch the paradigm. It's part of the damage roll. If I understand the new playtest rules for 1D&D, the new name for 5E... I think that only PCs are going to be able to do critical hits. I don't think monsters are going to be able to do them anymore, and I don't think they can happen as a result of spells and, you know, the current edition. I'm not positive on that. No expert on the current game. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think you do need to change the paradigm up a little bit because the biggest issue with critical hits is that fact that that character that has almost no chance of hitting gets a critical every time they hit. So either you, you you say, unless you have X amount of skill, kind of like what you talked about, the plus bonus, unless you have X amount of skill, you can't do a critical hit. Which, I don't know if that's realistic either. I mean, none of that is realistic, right? It's a game. 
But yeah, it's a tough nut to crack. I look forward to hearing what you come up with. As far as OSR October, I think you bring up some good points. I look forward to hearing what you and the other smart people in the room, like Taylor and maybe Daniel and whoever else wants to chime in, come up with. And I'm happy to more or less follow the lead, although I'll probably march my own tune a little bit. The, you know, of, of course, Pink Phantom's stuck in this as well now, whether they like it or not. But I don't know. You, you know, for me, old school, I, I think the problem with old school October is then we lose the whole purpose of revitalizing the OSR. Not revitalizing, but rehabilitating the OSR, right? Getting past the idea of some of these bad actors and, and this negative reputation. Because old school games in general don't have that. They have a little bit of it, but not anything like what OSR does. Old School October works a lot better for me because, honestly, I played a lot more old school games than I played OSR games. <laughs> I am not the OSR guru you guys are. I'm not into it like you guys are. I end up talking lots of OSR and doing a lot of OSR theorizing, but I really don't. And I end up playing in a fair amount of OSR games because that's what people like playing. But honestly, I much prefer old school games to OSR games. You know, I'll take Top Secret or Boot Hill or Gangbusters or Gamma World, um, Tunnels and Trolls, Rollmaster, you, you know, you name it, um, over an OSR game any day because it's just not my thing. Um, I, I mean, I like it well enough, obviously, but but I think old school would kind of miss the point of the whole exercise. Hey Rob, Jason here. To add to the number of calls you have stacking up, as far as 1D&D goes, uh, Daniel Norton and I talk about it a little bit on my episode that comes out on the 23rd of August. But ultimately, yeah, I find it funny the angst online, especially around the idea of the VTT, and this is going to ruin all the other VTTs. What are we going to do? You, you don't have to use their VTT. You can, even if they don't support D&D on Roll20, you can still use Roll20 as a base. You don't have to buy their products. I I haven't bought a module or a, you know something like that on a VTT yet. I just homebrew it. And let's be honest, you can do just a voice theater of the mind game, or you can use Zoom. There are so many different options to, to play a game. You don't have to use theirs. And, of course, the, the big elephant in the room here is, you know, with COVID, COVID's not going away. No, I'm not saying that. Heck, my family is recovering from it right now. But that said, more and more people are meeting again to play in person. So what do all these virtual tools do for me if I play in person? You know, I don't care what you do with D&D Beyond and with the VTT. If I'm playing in person at a table with physical books, you know, so I, I guess I don't, I don't know. I, again, I'm not talking target audience either. If they're doing what their fans want and what players of 5e want, then that's great. I'm happy for them. Seems kind of silly. I'm not saying you're doing this, but I've seen a lot of people that don't play 5e crap on this. And if you're not playing it, what's it matter to you, you know? Why, yes, Rollmaster lets you divide up. Oh, wait, that's where you got it from. Never mind. <laughs> you, you know, it's interesting. It'll be an easy enough rule to do, right? So basically you have your, your fighter who's a weapons master. So that's the, you know, the subclass or whatever. And your weapons master could, or whatever you want to call them. I, I don't care what they're called. But their bonus to hit, to damage, and to their AC are all fluid. So if you have a plus one to hit, a plus two to damage, and plus one to AC, then you have four pluses. You have a total of plus four that you can use variably each round wherever you want. Now, I think to be you'd have to declare it at the beginning of the round. This round I'm putting four, plus four to damage, or this round I'm doing plus four to AC. But I don't see a problem with that. Hey Rob, just wanted to jump in on this stats talk. Um, every time, uh, and it's been a lot recently, 
uh, player has gone, oh, I'm a low, I have low intelligence, so I will interrupt them and say, hey, 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 don't play to your stats. Your stats are for rolling. Play how you want. So I try to keep that perspective going because I don't want people to go, oh, I know that's a troll. I know I'd use fire, but let me use ice because I have a low intelligence. I don't want that shit at my table. I mean, it, it's all right, but let's all play efficiently because if you're not efficient, you're just going to die, right? I mean, maybe that's the point of old school. I don't know. Talk to you later. So that was Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thanks for calling in, Jason. He's got some more here in a few minutes. But let's talk a little bit about critical hits. My question to all my listeners here that want to chime in on the topic is, why do you want them? If you like critical hits, what is it that you want them to do in the game? Are you wanting them to add the idea or the concept of a lucky or a precision strike to a uh, vulnerable or vital area of a creature, thereby incapacitating them with one hit or, or just doing more damage? So is it to bring in an element of simulation or is it just to bring in more uh, random elements into the game? Because in, in most critical hit systems where it is just like on a nat 20 you score a crit, uh, I think that's how most people do it. And most game systems seem to do it that way as well. Uh, yeah, that's all just random, right? So is that what you're hoping to, to bring into the game? Uh, to me, it's not realistic at all that uh, some stable hand who's never picked up a sword before has the same chance to get a critical strike with that sword as a uh, as the best sword in the land. You know, some eleventh level fighter or something. They both have the same chance to score a critical hit. To me, that's ridiculous. Um, but it, so are you hoping to bring in the element like, like Bard the Bowman bringing down Smaug with one, with one arrow? I mean, to me, in game terms, Black Arrow was an arrow of dragon slaying, and that's why he brought Smaug down. Uh, but if you, if you like critical hits, yeah, let me know what it is. I want to do an episode devoted to critical hits and fumbles and how I'd fix them for my games. Um... Uh, to me, yeah, you take out the you take out the random, or at least make it uh, as as Jason's suggesting. You do a wider range of chances for accomplished combatants, uh, but also like critical hits. Uh, when they have like specific injuries and stuff, um, that's another element that I don't really like because eventually, uh, well, well, I suppose some people might say if you have specific injuries that discourages them to always picking up the sword to solve all their problems, because eventually they are going to be, uh, severely injured and almost have to retire because of all the, all the, you know, missing eye, broken limbs, uh, missing fingers and arms and limbs and whatever that you get from, you know, continually having combat, but that kind of takes away from the whole idea of building this character, uh, you know, this, at least in a D and D type of game where you're going up a level and progressively getting better and better and better. If instead maybe you're doing that, but as well, you're, you're physically breaking down or maybe mentally breaking down that, uh, that could be a, a fun game. It could be, a, it would be a different type of game. That's kind of like how best left buried approaches things. Your character's become warped and and uh <clears throat> mentally and physically uh, debilitated as they as they continue on their course of adventuring it, it's just a very different type of game and i think uh as jason pointed out rollmaster is the to me the best game system that's addressed this kind of thing if you take away all the fact that it's so crunchy as to become 
virtually unplayable. <laughs> yeah, unless you were somehow able to automate a bunch of this stuff, uh, all these tables in some kind of computer program where you just type in plus 50 broadsword strike to AC, whatever, enter, and it spits out the result. But that doesn't seem very fun to me. I don't know. I'll, yeah, like I said, I'll do a, an episode on how I'd fix critical hits. Maybe that'll be the next Wednesday episode. And um, if you've got any any thoughts about why you like them, why you want them in the game, advocates for critical hits, call in, let me know. Now Jason's got some thoughts on Wizards of the Coast announcement of 1D&D. Or maybe it's OSR October. I think it's OSR October 1st. And then... Uh, 1D and D. Oh, just one more thing. Yeah, to me, a critical hit is a hit that scores enough damage to put a monster down. <laughs> That's a critical hit. It's already in the game mechanics. You just can only score a critical hit, a killing blow, when you actually bring a monster to zero hit points. Uh, so it seems like people that want critical hits want a shortcut to endgame. And maybe the problem is, when you get to elevated levels of play, it requires so many hits to bring a monster to zero hit points that the game turns into a slog. So maybe the problem is mid and high level play. <laughs> At low level, it works fine. Uh, if you're fighting monsters that have four hit points, you're scoring critical hits all the time. Um, I don't know. Am I wrong? If people, if what they really want are specific injuries and opportunities to one-shot colossal monsters, um, uh, yeah, okay, but then your 10th level character can get one-shotted by a goblin, too. And I think that maybe isn't the most satisfying game experience for a player. But again, call and let me know what you think. Anchor! <laughs> for whatever reason, Anchor this morning isn't behaving the way it normally does for me building an episode and specifically about call-ins. I typically add all the calls and then add them to my episode and then listen back to the calls pause it, rearrange segments by, you know, recording my reply and rearranging the segments. And it's not letting me rearrange segments today. So it looks, it appears at the moment my only options are to delete the episode and completely start over. Or now that I've added all the uh, segments, all the calls, it's not letting me delete any of the ones I added already. Uh, only the last thing I record is given the option to delete. Uh, so I'm just going to have to reply to all of them now after you listen to all the calls. Yeah. This sucks. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Ah! But sorry about this disjointed podcast episode. But now I guess I'm going to answer the other calls that I got. So, yeah. All right, I'll listen back to the messages again. Um, hopefully this is an, an ongoing issue with Anchor, and this is just a one-time glitch that I've gotten myself into. But concerning OSR October, yeah, I think I prefer OSR October to old-school October for the, for the reasons Jason gave. To me, it's an opportunity to talk about all the cool things happening in the scene, um, all the great products and games and blogs and podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff that make up 90%, 95%, maybe more of the whole movement and not the the 5% of the people kind of giving it a bad name. Um, the outsized impact those idiots have. And more, I think, the word of mouth kind of spreading the bad news kind of thing that social media seems to 
really be great at <laughs> is smearing things and uh, and it seems like maybe that second hand third hand hundredth hand uh, opinions have you know cast things in a bad light when they really shouldn't be uh, so yeah I think I think it is a little bit about um, yeah just talking about the cool things going on and hopefully bringing uh, bringing that to the fore to people that aren't exposed to the game scene the OSR game scene uh, so maybe they yeah maybe they take a different look at it and just to have a sense of camaraderie among all the people that are participating I think that's the other aspect and I'd be totally fine if people just talked about old school games too it, yeah I think uh, yeah march to the beat of your own drum if you want to talk about boot hill uh or Traveler, or Rollmaster, go for it. I think that's cool. And especially if you talk about maybe elements from those games that you could introduce to uh, a more traditional OSR, old-school D&D-compatible game. What from Boot Hill would you bring in uh, to a D&D to a game? Or what would you bring from Rollmaster or Traveler um, into those games? influence the osr games with that all right one uh, D totally agree it's completely silly to be outraged about um, what wizards of the coast is doing unless you play 5e if you don't play 5e whoop-de-doo you know um, they can do whatever you, they want and it doesn't impact your game or your table at all i i think it's possible that if their virtual tools become uh, the new hotness, that it could impact the the, the business of some of the other uh, virtual tabletops that exist, Roll20, Fantasy Grounds, and all those others. Um, maybe if they lose enough uh, subscribers or whatever, their business could go under. I think more of what the one D&D thing, though, is about capturing new players so if they also have all these cool digital tools, the natural course for, for new players will be to get into the game and then as if one D&D is this whole umbrella network that we not only have the rules and the modules and, and all this other stuff, but we've got the method to play uh, virtually online... I think that's where they're looking is future sales more than taking away from other existing businesses. So I think what's going to happen is they're capping the growth of the current uh, other game businesses and stuff and instead taking all their potential growth and putting it into the Hasbro umbrella. That's how I see it. But uh, even if you're a 5e player, pay no attention. If you, if you uh, like the game you're playing, you don't need to buy into any of the new garbage. Um, I don't know. To me, it's like a baseball fan getting upset about what the NFL is doing. Or um, a soccer fan being upset about what Major League Baseball does. You know, changing rules or playoff structure or whatever. If you're not a fan of it, who cares, you know? doesn't impact your game so uh yeah calm down <laughs> uh the last thing jason t called in about talking about when i was speculating about maybe being able to have flexible uh attack bonus so you could say you have a character that's got a plus three to hit uh each round they could decide if they're gonna put those pluses into to hit, to damage, or AC. And I, I don't know, I'm going to noodle with this. I think it's pretty cool. Um, it could get a little fiddly at the table if people are constantly um, monkeying with it from round to round and stuff, and the DM's like, oh, what's your AC this round again? Um, you know, when they're rolling to hit for the monsters and stuff, that could be a little bit wonky. 
but I'll I'll explore this a little bit more. It's totally uh, inspired from Rollmaster, where you can split your your attack bonus into offensive bonus or defensive bonus. And in Rollmaster, because it's all integrated, the damage you do and stuff is all derived from one roll. It tells you if you hit and how much damage or what criticals you do and stuff. Um, it's a little bit more streamlined than it is in D&D, where it's a separate to hit and damage roll. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that's cool. And Rich, your call, I totally agree with you. Uh, the stats are all about affecting roles in the game. They shouldn't be, in my mind, telling you how to play your character. I think it's a lot cooler when everyone tries to play their character to the, the best of their capabilities. You're trying to collectively, as a group, overcome the obstacles you face. And you don't need anyone nerfing themselves at the table by, yeah, I'm fighting a troll, but I'm so dumb. I don't, I don't know that it's fire and acid that do damage, so I'm going to hit them with or lasting damage. I'm going to hit them with my, my lightning bolt or whatever um, when I could hit them with a fireball instead. I think that's, yeah, that's just... For some, that might be a fun way to play. For me, it's just nerfing yourself for no reason. And uh, no, I don't think that's part of old school play at all, uh, having your characters die. I think old school is all about player skill and doing your best to overcome the obstacles placed in front of you, not by letting your uh, play-acting character. This is my alter ego persona, I assume, when I join this game, and my character's a pacifist, so I'm not going to do anything (laughs) against the monsters except reason with them. Um, No, I don't think those are um, fun ways to play for me. All right, that's it uh, for this disjointed podcast RPG a day plus calls all out of whack thanks to Anchor. Um, <laughs> call in with your your thoughts on why you like critical hits for my How to Fix Critical show because I'd like to know like what it is I'm trying to fix. I'm trying to fix it for me, and that's what that show will be all about. But it would be cool to hear what other people, advocates of critical hits, and you know, if you if you don't like them, tell me why. Do you agree with, with some of my reasoning? Uh, or do you have a different reason for not liking them? Or not using them at your table? Um, but until I talk to you again, don't go down in a heap. My strength has returned. My wounds have healed. Thanks to Ariel's magic. Nothing to it. It's all in the wrist. Time to go, Ariel. Goodbye, Thank you!